Today is Sunday, meaning there's a new episode of the Greatest Games Podcast, and it's also Bash Day. That's right. Head on over to at the Bash Hoops on Twitter. Retweet all the team announcements today to be entered to win two tickets to the 2020 Bash. See the full schedule at thebashhoops.com. The Bash is back. And while you're on the internet, head on over to teachhoops.com slash 816basketball and check out all the incredible content that Coach Steve Collins has at teachhoops.com slash 816basketball. Hello and welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast, brought to you by 816 Basketball. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Rosefield, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris de Blasio. Thank you, Brian. Pleasure to be here, as always, on the Greatest Games Podcast. A chance for us to catch up with basketball coaches from around the country and have them tell us about their greatest game. As always, it can be their time as a head coach, an assistant coach, a college coach, a high school coach, just whatever game they consider to be their greatest. And Coach, we are, Coach de Blasio, that is, we are just honored and, and extremely excited to have our guest today, a long career in college basketball, the former head coach at Rutgers, and now he is the CEO of the Team Hill Foundation. We'll learn more about that as we get moving here. Just can't wait to get this, this podcast started. Coach Fred Hill, welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast. Well, thanks, Brian. Thanks, Chris. It's uh it's a pleasure to be on with you guys and uh, look forward to telling some, uh, some good stories. Well, we are always up for good stories. And as Brian knows, the New Jersey guys always bring the best stories. That's, that is the truth. <laughs> yeah, but you guys just figure out how much of them are true. <laughs> well, right, yeah, right, absolutely. Uh, and we, we, we were able to get in touch with Coach Hill through our good buddy, John Ziemba who's a good friend of mine who I have the pleasure to coach against and lose to a lot. Uh, and Coach Yemba, I'm trying to find what episode he was here, Brian. Do you have what episode he was on the Greatest Games podcast? I do. Of course, he was episode 38. And, okay. Uh, great episode. And as we mentioned in the pre-show chatter, it's been great to get to know some coaches from all over, especially the you, you New Jersey guys. It's been a lot of fun. been a lot of fun. <laughs> Well, Coach Hill, why don't you take us through uh, your career and, and through your career in playing and coaching and how you got to where you are today? Well, uh, you mentioned John Ziem, but it all started back at Montclair State College at the time, Montclair State University today. I, I, was, a, uh, I was a player there and uh, had the opportunity to play with some, some great guys, uh, lifelong friendships. What it's really all about, you play at the Division three level, you don't get a scholarship, you play because you love the game. And um, I grew up in a coaching family, and um, when I graduated from Montclair State, my college coach said, uh, you're going to be my next assistant coach. Uh, one of the assistants that I had, Mike Cohen, great guy, got an opportunity to leave Montclair and uh, go down to George Washington as an assistant coach, and Ollie Gelston, a uh, a legend, the guy that I played for, um, said, uh, you're going to come and be my assistant. So uh, I didn't have very much choice. Um, <laughs> I wound up being his assistant coach for a year. And then um, my uncle, who was the head coach at Lehigh University at the time, Brian Hill, um, who subsequently went on and coached in the NBA for, oh, 30 years and was the head coach of the Magic when they went to the NBA Finals, I believe it was back in 96. 
he was at Lehigh. And he said the same thing to me the next year. Uh, he said, you're coming to work for me. So uh, I went up to Lehigh and spent a year with my uncle. And from there, it was uh, a lot of schools let me come in and coach that wouldn't let me go there as a student. Um, I couldn't get in, but uh, they welcomed me as a coach. And uh, I coached at Ryder University and uh, from Ryder. Um, I went to Marquette University and spent two years at Marquette with Bobby Duquette, who was the former assistant at Princeton, another Jersey guy, head coach at St. Peter's. Um, after Marquette, I went to the University of Maine, uh, and I spent three years up at the University of Maine. And then I came home to Fairleigh Dickinson University, and I spent seven years there with Tom Green, a great friend, phenomenal coach. We had a great run there had great players, uh, went to the NCAA tournament, just a, a, a great, great uh, seven years of my career with Tom. And then after FDU, uh, Tommy Amaker gave me a, an opportunity to coach with him at Seton Hall in the Big East. I spent three years with Tommy. Uh, he went to Michigan and a very good friend of mine, Jay Wright, who had been at Hofstra, just got the Villanova job. And uh, he asked me to come to Villanova with him. So I went down there with Jay and we started up the Villanova program. Uh, spent uh, four years down at Villanova. Uh, just uh, a phenomenal experience. Great university. We had great players, great kids. Uh, just really enjoyed that. And then I got a chance to, to come back home, so to speak, even though I didn't go real far and uh, go to Rutgers University. Uh, as the associate head coach for a year and then was named the head coach. Spent four years at uh, Rutgers as the head coach. Uh, and then uh, I was fortunate enough, another Jersey guy, uh, after I got let go at Rutgers, I uh, took a year off and uh, an opening occurred at Northwestern University. So I went out with Bill Carmody, uh, greatest offensive coach I've ever been around in the game. Spent two years with him at uh, Northwestern. And then a uh, call came from um, Kevin Willard. He had an opening on his staff to come back home. And uh, I came back home to Seton Hall, where I spent uh, the last five years of my career. Uh, decided to take a little break, walk away, and just devote all my time to uh, my foundation. So uh, it's been a long, great journey, great stops along the way, great people. And uh, I couldn't have asked for anything more where I really didn't think I was going to be a coach in college. And uh, throughout my career, I always reflect back. I was actually uh, leaving Montclair State with a business degree, and I was going to work at the Meadowlands uh, for the Sports Authority. And that's when uh, Ali said, you're coming to be my assistant. And that was the end of that career in business. And uh, here I am 38 years later, uh, 38 years coaching years later in college, um, sitting back and if you could see me now, big smile on my face because it's been absolutely awesome. Coach, what I want to give you credit for is a lot of times we've had on some college coaches and they can't always remember their stops in order. You nailed it and you nailed the amount of years at each place as I'm looking here. I mean, that is unbelievable. Well, when you have a lot of time and you don't have anything to do, you kind of reflect a lot on, on what the heck you did. Uh, I, sometimes it, it, sometimes I can't remember what I had for breakfast, but that's, that's just been the, the type of career. Again, I, I've always, people said, you know, you did this, you did that. I said, I didn't do anything. I've been very blessed 
to do something for my my career that I love to do. I don't ever consider it going to work or having to work a day in my life. And I just worked all the way up from the first job at Montclair State through my last job. Um, I, I worked with phenomenal people. And I mean, when you talk about really three of them uh, at the highest level, when you talk about Tommy Amaker and Bill Carmody and Jay Wright, and you're talking about a Hall of Fame coach, you're talking about maybe the best, like I said, the best offensive mind, uh, Bill Carmody. Uh, worked for Pete Carrillo at Princeton. Uh, Tommy Amaker worked for Krzyzewski at Duke and, and played there. I've just been so fortunate and blessed to be around such great people and coaches. I talked about Tom Green and my seven years at Fairley. Uh, at every level, I, I was just very, very fortunate. So, uh, yeah, I can, I, can, I can roll that off. Not too many other things can I remember, but, but I, I can roll off where I've been and the great people I've been around. Coach, you talk about uh, all those great coaches you work for. I was going to ask you that, and you beat me to it, but I want to start at home. And obviously, I'm sure you get asked this a lot, but you talked about uh, working for your uncle, Bob Hill, who went on uh, – Brian, I'm sorry. Bob Hill was the other Hill that coached the NBA. Brian Hill, yes. who went on to coach yep. the Orlando Magic and coaching the pros. And your dad, obviously, who was a successful high school baseball coach and then went on to coach at Rutgers for 30 years. Talk about maybe those lessons that you learned as a kid being around coaching that maybe you didn't even think you were learning and what they taught you about being a successful coach, your dad and your uncle. Well, it was obviously great to, to grow up in a, in a sports family and a coaching family. And, um, you know, when I went to Montclair State, one of the great things about being there was that my dad was the coach. So uh, he was the football and baseball coach. But years before that, we grew up in East Orange, and I was always with my dad. I have four sisters and a brother. So basically, uh, my mom was raising six kids while my dad was out coaching. And uh, from the time I was a little peanut on the playgrounds, um, I was sitting in the dugout with him or I was on the sidelines on football games and would walk from Clifford Scott High School in East Orange down to where they played uh, about four blocks down the street was a football stadium called Martin Stadium. And I was always around the games. I played everything growing up, baseball, football, basketball. Um, it, it was just a, a phenomenal upbringing and being around those people and my uncle going as I was a youngster, going to watch him coach um, when, when he was coaching uh, both in high school and then at Lehigh University um, and then getting to Montclair State. Uh, every day after basketball practice, I would go in and sit in on the meetings, the football meetings um, that my dad would have after his practices with all the football coaches who were like big brothers to me. And I learned just so much about organization and breaking down a completely different sport in terms of, you know, group practices, individual practices, team practices, offense, defense, how you have to listen and have trust in your assistant coaches and offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator and position coaches. And I think there without knowing it and just being around I absorbed so much. And then, of course, being a player, uh, my coach was phenomenal. And then having someone to go to, like my uncle, to talk about basketball, the X's and O's and developing players and the organization of a basketball practice, um, you know, those two influences on me, um, you know, just it's hard to put into words how it shaped my career and what it did for me. And, and then even my dad, 
you know, being able to talk to him, who, who was a phenomenal athlete and played basketball and, you know, uh, baseball and football and a couple of years of uh, minor league baseball and just to always be around it, you know, and, and even going back to my high school coaches, uh, I had two phenomenal coaches. We moved from East Orange to Verona, Doug Gaffney and uh, Jack Moran, two great guys, great coaches. So I've been very fortunate just to be around so many great coaches and people and uh, continued throughout my whole career. So, you know, I always called it the unfair advantage. People ask, you know, how did you get where you were? And, you know, I, I always talk about all of them, but certainly, you know, having a dad like my dad and, and my uncle, um, two, two phenomenal coaches and two phenomenal influences on, on my career. Coach, I'm struck by your story. How many guys were saying, Coach, you're, you're coming with me. You're coming with me. And then piggyback on what Chris was talking about, you just rattling off how many stops you, you had as an assistant in order. And I'm, I'm curious to know what you think, and, and obviously you exuded it as an assistant coach, but what makes a great assistant coach? Yeah, wow, that's a great question. I, you know, I, I, I think, and, and I used to say this to my assistants when I was the head coach at Rutgers, I think guys that make you think and, and my job as an assistant, I always felt for the head coach was to make suggestions and make him think. And I think then what a great assistant does, and I think young guys have a hard time understanding this is, you know, I'm exuberant and I think I have a great idea and I go to the head coach and I say, what about this? Or, you know, have you thought about this or can we do this? And, you know, he gives it a little thought and then he tells me, no, you're out of your mind. You know, like guys get crushed. And I think you have to understand that, you know, uh, he thought about it. It's not something that he wants to implement. And then when he says, no, we're going to do it this way or this is what we're going to do, you have to be 100% on board. And, and I really learned that um, in the football meetings, listening to the football coaches. And I learned it when I went to work for my uncle at Lehigh. I think I really learned how to be a great assistant to things that he taught me. Uh, his top assistant, Sal Mentasana, was also a mentor of mine. And the things that he taught me, I was very young, one year at Montclair State. My second year was Division One at Lehigh. And I think a good assistant listens. I, I think he listens. I think he challenges the head coach, but then does exactly what the head coach then talks about and teaches it the way the head coach wants it to be taught. And I think the other big factor is that he has great relationships with the players. And he's a liaison between the players and the head coach in a lot of ways. And he can snuff out a lot of fires or he can take guys in and work with them one-on-one -on -one and get them up to speed and make sure that they're on the same page as the head coach. So, uh, you know, it's really important that when the head coach is teaching and talking to players that they get what's going on. And sometimes that takes a little massaging. And I think a good assistant can step in and, you know, play that role, that intermediary, and make sure that there's great relationships and the kids understand everything that's going on. So I think those are probably the two biggest things. And I think it all comes down to being a great listener and a great communicator. And if you can do those two things, you'll be a hell of an assistant coach. Coach, I love the beginning part of that answer, talking about as an assistant coach making suggestions and making the head coach think and not being crushed when the head coach doesn't use your idea. 
but to keep coming back with more ideas. I remember turning to my assistants at one point last year. I was, it was my first year as a head coach in high school. And I turned to my assistants one time during the game and I said, guys, I don't want you to think I don't hear your suggestions. I actually said that to him in the game. I was like, I, I'm listening to them, but I'm just processing them. Like, you know, don't – it was my way of saying, like, keep bringing the suggestions. Keep them coming. I don't mind. You know, keep – I want you to keep bringing them. Absolutely. And, and that's what a good head coach will do. And, like, I used to tell my guys, listen, every good head coach, they heard what you had to say you're not going to get an immediate response. It's impossible. You're, especially in a game, you're processing too many things. You heard it, you process it. You may go to it in five minutes. You may go to it right away. You may not use it whatsoever, but without a doubt, you definitely want to hear what your assistants have to say, make you think. And I would love, we would used to, I'd ask my assistants after every practice, write down the things that you thought we did good, the things we need to work on and the things we did bad as a staff, not as the players. And I want those input, those feedback. I want all those things that you can bring to the table. So when I go home and I watch the practice film and when I think about practice the next day, I have your input. And then when we make our practice plan, you have a chance to verbally then speak and talk about the things that we think we should be doing. So it's very, very important but it's also important as the assistant coach to understand that the head coach isn't going to do everything you say. And you can't let that deter you from being a good assistant coach and making suggestions and having input. And when it's used, feel very good about the things you're doing. But when it's not used, go back and do exactly what the head coach wants. And uh, I think that's critical in the success of any good organization, any good team. Coach, I know you're doing great things, and we'll learn about your your foundation here later. I know you're doing great things through that, but I'm I'm now waiting on the book that you're going to put out because what you just <laughs> laid down right there is absolutely perfect, and it, it leads into uh, conversations that I've had with my coaches. I'm a high school AD in South Carolina, and I've had several come up to me over the years and say, Coach, my, the head coach is not listening to what I'm saying. I'm saying, okay, and what, what's your point? Like, your job is to keep, keep putting it out there and, like you said, just not taking it personally when they say no because it's one of those things that assistant coaches, and for me, is really is a, a, essentially an assistant AD, you don't know what it's like to be in that chair until you're in that chair. And I think what Chris has said is so, is so true. Please keep those suggestions coming, keep them coming, keep them coming. So I just love what you're saying. So again, I, I'm, I'll go ahead and sign me up for your waiting list for the book. Cause I'll be waiting. All right. I'll tell you what you want to write it. I'll give you all the, all the verbiage that you need to write the book. All right. That's fine. We, we can work that deal out. That sounds good. That sounds good. Well, Coach, you know the name of the podcast is The Greatest Game. So at this point in the show, take us in the arena. We're not going to pigeonhole you. We know you've been a lot part of a lot of great games, but take us in the arenas for your greatest game. Wow. That's uh, that, that's that's a very interesting question. You know, you, you, you start out your career, I guess, you know, as a player in college, uh, we were fortunate enough to win the New Jersey Athletic Conference, uh, which puts you into the NCAA Tournament Division Three, And um, we had a, a good team, not a great team, great guys. But uh, we got matched up in the first round of the tournament with uh, Roanoke College. And uh, they had only one loss uh, 
on the season, they uh, they lost to William and Mary at Division One school. Uh, I believe they were 24, 25 and one, and uh, got they ranked number two in the country, and they got them in the first round, and uh, we beat them uh, on a buzzer shot that uh, I hit at the buzzer uh, to win that game and move on to the uh, Sweet 16 in the Division Three round. So, uh, as a player. That's one that will always stand out because um, of the quality of the opponent and the moment uh, in the NCAA tournament that it was. Uh, as a coach, you know, if you, you go back over the years, I think everywhere I've been, because one of the things that I take a great deal of pride in when I look back at my career is um, everywhere I went was a tough job and a, and a, and a building job. So, you know, I look back at some of those games as we're building, and they might not seem so important to um, other people, but they're building blocks of a program where you broke through and you know that you crossed that line where you can turn the program and be successful. So there was a lot of those along the way. And, you know, then you look at some of the, the highlights that most people will look at. You, you don't usually forget many championships. Um, certainly my first experience going to the NCAA tournament and winning the conference championship was at Ryder College. We won the East Coast Conference Championship and went on to play in the NCAA tournament. And, and that was a huge thrill. Um, I think I was 24 years old. Uh, it was my third year uh, coaching in college. So uh, that was pretty neat to be a part of that. And then, um, you know, uh, we had a uh, couple great wins uh, at Seton Hall uh, with Tommy Amaker, my first time there. Um, we, we went to the Sweet 16 and, and had two tremendous wins uh, over uh, Oregon and Temple. As a 10 seed, we beat the 7 seed, and then we upset the number 2 seed, Temple. And uh, I don't think you ever forget you know, having that opportunity to 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 go to a, uh, 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 you know, uh, the NCAA tournament and win a couple games and go to the Sweet 16, and then you know going down to Villanova with Jay and building a program there and bringing in a couple uh, New York City and Jersey guys and uh, starting to you know really build the foundation of what he's done down there, which is off the charts phenomenal. But those first two recruiting classes, three recruiting classes really set the stage and the foundation. And again, we were able to go uh, to a sweet 16, um, you know, with those guys when they were juniors, Randy Foy, uh, Alan Ray, Curtis Sumter, uh, uh, Jason Frazier. We had Mike Nardi, Will Sheridan, um, just a great, great, great group of guys. Uh, I think Kyle Lowry was a freshman. So you, you look at some of the guys on that team and what they were able to accomplish and what we did and um, just those kind of things kind of stand out. But for me, really, it's it's everywhere. Going out to Northwestern, playing in the Big Ten, which was a new league for me, having been in the Big East, um, just phenomenal coaches, phenomenal arenas, phenomenal games. Uh, working for Bill, just a, a tremendous experience. So might not have been championships, but just, you know, some of the great games that we beat Michigan State when they were number six in the country um, at Northwestern. 
uh, and and just uh, you know I, I remember it because uh, Tom Izzo is a very good friend and Hall of Fame coach and you know one of the toughest scouts you'll ever have. He he used to script plays and they would put in new plays and you'd watch film and you'd see things and you know he'd have ten new plays in that you couldn't that you couldn't ever seen before and you couldn't be prepared. So just trying to prepare for them was difficult and. Uh, we're sitting in the locker room before the game and, you know, Bill goes, what do you think? It was my scout. And, you know, I'm like, I would just spend four days doing all this stuff. And I turned and looked at him and, you know, we, we used to play a one, three, one zone defense as a, as a, as a change up defense. We'd come out and play man to man and, you know, maybe 10, 15 minutes of the game, we throw a little one, three, one at you, you know, then come in the second half, kind of keep it in our back pocket just to, just to have ready and, and if we needed to change the momentum of the game. And I, we're sitting there and I said, well, listen, uh, you know, I said, you won't listen to me anyway. I said, but, you know, I just did the scout for four days. It drove me absolutely nuts. I think our kids are prepared, but why don't we come out to one, three, one and see what they do instead of waiting. They're not going to be prepared for it. And uh, who knows, maybe we can get off to a good start. And he looked at me and he goes, yeah. And that bill was very dry, real funny. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. I said, I know you won't do it. Just a thought, though. And he starts giggling, and we walked out of the locker room, and we go to the bench, and, you know, he doesn't say a word. This is what we're talking about, you know. And we get to the huddle, and, you know, we get ready to break to, to, to go out and play, and he goes, all right, we're going to start in a one three one to the guys. I almost fell off my chair, and we played it the whole game, and we beat Michigan State. They were six in the country by ten points. And we, we, we never played man. We played one three one the whole game. And after the game, obviously, it was a great win. And I go, yeah, thanks a lot. You make me freaking scout him for a whole goddamn week. We didn't do a damn thing I looked at. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, there's something like that that you always remember. It's always like a kind of funny story. So there's, there's all those along the way, and we could probably talk about 100 of them. But, you know, those are some of the ones that I think people might be interested in and stand out. And you sit and laugh at some, you cry at others. And, you know, some of the great ones when you win championships, you – you really feel good for the kids. Um, you know, as much as you feel good for yourself and the staff because you worked hard, but you, you feel great for the kids because they're the ones that put the time and effort in and the work in and they have to listen. And, you know, they've got to be true student athletes. They've got to go to class. And to, to see what they do throughout the course of the year and to be able to culminate all that hard work with a championship, I just don't think it gets much better than that. So, you're really happy and you remember those games because you really remember them for the kids and, you know, winning one in the, in the, in the garden uh, when I was at Seton Hall, my second time with Kevin Willard, 2016 Big East championship. We had a young team and to see those guys come together and, and, and upset Villanova who went on to win the national championship that year. Um, that game will always stand out because if you're from New Jersey or from New York, to, to walk into the Garden is special. To play at the Garden, which I did as a Division Three player, we played Marist College in the Garden when I was at Montclair State, and then to go coach in the Garden and to win a championship in the Garden, there's nothing better as a basketball player and coach. It's the Mecca. It's Madison Square Garden. And that would probably be the one of all the stories that I'll cherish forever just because we're basketball junkies 
that are out of our minds that grew up in New York and New Jersey. It's just, it's just something, Brian, that, you know, you're in South Carolina. We're nuts. Okay. And, and, you know, I say it with a smile on my face and do respect to all the coaches and the, we call it the coaching mafia, you know, the NBA North Jersey coaches, UB Brown and uh, Mike Vitello and, and Brendan Sir and Brian Hill. And it, it's just, it, there's a passion about the game and kind of a little quirkiness and nuttiness about the coaches that, that gives it a little extra flavor. And, and Madison Square Garden is the be all and end all for us. So that's one that, that goes right up there at the top and will stay with me. And again, I'll cherish that one forever. Coach, I want to take you back to the Seton Hall, the first Seton Hall ones you were talking about. Uh, in the 2000 NCAA tournament, you guys beat Oregon by one in overtime. You beat Temple by two in overtime, and you lost to Oklahoma State by two. So you were the cardiac kids in that tournament. But I was working at the University of Kentucky at the time, and we were in the uh, regional in Cleveland or the sub-regional in Cleveland. And we were at the – Coach Tubby Smith was doing his press conference. I believe you had a guard, Ty Shine. Was that the name of the kid? Yep, Ty Shine was Shaheen Holloway's backup. Yep. And uh, he came in in the Temple game. So, strange how the basketball gods work. We we beat Oregon on a 92-foot uh, Shaheen Holloway drive to the basket and floater to beat them at the buzzer in, in overtime. And he sprains his ankle severely. Oh, that's right. And okay. We come out against Temple, who plays a matchup 3-2 zone and one of the best in the country, and they're long. And Shaheen was an All-American point guard, but he wasn't a great three-point shooter. Ty Shine is backup, phenomenal three-point shooter. Um, and we get Temple, who's going to play zone the whole game. And our game plan going in was if you get an open three – shoot it and I believe if I'm not mistaken I'm gonna say we went 15 for 30 or 15 for 31 from three and Ty Shine I believe was six out of seven and by us knocking down so many threes and him going six for seven coming off the bench because shot couldn't play uh we wind up beating Temple in overtime and uh, going to the sweet 16 and then uh, losing, like you said, to Oklahoma State by two. And our, our best shooter, Darius Lane, who was a sophomore, went two for 18 from three. If he has any type of night, uh, we are then Florida upset Duke in the other half of the matchup, and we would have got a young Florida team in the Elite Eight for a chance to go to the Final Four, which – I believe Florida went on they to win the Final Four no, that no, no. year. They, they lost in the championship game. They okay, lost so the they, they lost in the championship. To Michigan okay, State. And, and we thought we were better than them. We didn't think we were better than Duke, but we thought once they upset Duke that we would have had a real chance to make a run to the Final Four. And uh, we just couldn't get by Oklahoma State. They, uh, they were very, very good. Um, and we coach just Eddie didn't have a great was coach in there at the time, obviously. Yep. 
Brian's going to hate me. Brian knows I have a photographic memory for this stuff. So the Florida team, Mike Miller was a sophomore and hit a running uh, shot to beat Butler in the first round, and that launched them. But the game where Shaheen Holloway made the layup, I was watching. Tubby Smith was doing his press conference. I was in the press room, in like the back part of the press room, standing next to Jim Beheim watching the game. And wow. it was a tremendous game. And Jim Beheim at one point slapped me. There was like a bunch of people. He slapped me on the back and he goes, man, this is a heck of a game. I'll never forget it. <laughs> it was like the coolest <laughs> thing in the world for like a 22-year-old kid for Jim Beheim just to smack me on the back and be like, this is a heck of a game. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Those are, those are moments like games that you don't forget. Basketball, it, it's such a, a great game. It's such a great community the basketball community and the coaches and the players and, you know, the referees, I mean, uh, you know, the high school coaches, uh, you guys doing a podcast and just the basketball community, there's such great camaraderie and people, you compete, but people really do just love great basketball and coaches rooting for other teams in their conference. And, you know, I could see Bayheim, you know, he, he just gets excited, and here's a kid. You don't know who it is, and, yeah, he's going to smack you. Probably smacks you pretty good, too. Yeah. And, 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 yeah, it was, I can see it. It's, you know, coaches were nuts. You know, good smack. Here's some kid standing there. Boom. Hey, great game, kid. Isn't this great? Like, yeah, I, I could see that happening for sure. Because you're dead on the money with that. In episode 71, we were fortunate to have Kevin Eastman on this podcast, and he talked about the same thing. Just what a, just a, it's even bigger than a fraternity. It's just everybody, the men and the women around college basketball, whether it's men's and women's basketball, it doesn't matter. It's just such a family and such a fun atmosphere. And like Chris, I've never heard you tell that story as long as I've known you. What a neat, neat way to have Jim Bayham slap you on the back. And hopefully, you've never washed your back since then. But uh, anyway, <laughs> we'll talk about that off the air. But coach, you know, we normally like to end with a fun question and this one can be a fun question i'm really interested in what you're doing the team hill foundation so tell us tell our listeners about all the great things that you're able to do through team hill foundation right now well it's 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 been really neat and uh it's kind of funny because i I am the eternal optimist and uh, through my career i think that served me well and um, when i got let go at rutgers um i i was forced to take a year off um unfortunately um, the athletic director put in my separation agreement that I wasn't allowed to go work uh, and I wasn't allowed to go get another basketball job. So I, I kind of was, you know, kind of just for the first time in my life, uh, didn't have the game that I loved as a player or a coach. And I was saying, you know what, I've been so lucky. Um, and I talked to a lot of people, gave me good guidance, and I started a, the Team Hill Foundation um, you know, with my dad and my uncle, uh, my brother was a baseball player for my dad at Montclair state and my brother. So it was kind of like, you know, four, three coaches and former baseball player. And I just said, you know, I, I want to give back. It, it's I've been so blessed. And, uh, we just very small mom and pop, um, put it together and, uh, it's grown over the last 10 years into some great, great things. But we started with a, uh, Division three tournament at Montclair State, my alma mater, and we brought four teams in, and uh, we bring in inner city at risk kids. Uh, we did it around the holidays. We brought in 250 kids. Uh, we give them a campus tour. Uh, they get a chance to meet the players. They get a chance to watch the games. We fed them a traditional Thanksgiving dinner. 
uh, with some of these kids maybe never have or would have a chance to have. And then we, we give them a, a backpack full of school supplies uh, with, a, with a T-shirt as a gift. And it, it's, just, it's just awesome uh, to see the looks on their faces, for them to know that there's something to aspire to something that they can be all the guys that come back to talk guys that I played with that are CEOs of companies and guys, uh, you know, my backcourt mate, uh, Brian O'Connell is a big East official and uh, you know, just the look on their faces to hear that we were them, you know, we were guys, I was grew up in East Orange and Nikki Matarazzo, a great friend and and a mentor to me, two years older than me, grew up in Bloomfield and, you know, guys that, that they can relate to Jeff Johnson, uh, who's been a very successful businessman and owns copy centers, grew up in Passaic, New Jersey. And, you know, we were, we were kind of inner city team at Montclair state and to have these kids come back and hear from these guys and to, to be able to go to a college campus and see it and go to a game, just very, very rewarding. And then it's grown to where we would take kids to, the Prudential Center in Newark and do the same type of thing, but go to a Seton Hall game. And then it, really one of the highlights for me was, uh, I guess it's three years ago now. Um, no, uh, two years ago. Um, took a uh, hundred kids out of uh, Jersey city and uh, from foster care uh, into Madison square garden. And uh, same deal, get on the bus, uh, give them something to eat on the bus, backpack, school supplies, had a mentor on the bus to talk to them before they got off. And they got to go to Madison Square Garden and see the Kentucky Seton Hall game. That phenomenal overtime game that Miles Powell put a show on in in the last two or three minutes. I think he buried four or five threes. And, and uh, just, just an experience that those kids, you're talking to me about games I remember and you know, things that I've been very fortunate to have happened throughout my career, those kids will never, ever forget that day for the rest of their lives. Maybe kids that would have never set foot in Manhattan, certainly maybe not Madison Square Garden, and be able to go to Kentucky Seton Hall and see a game like that. So th- those are the types of things that we do for kids. And then a very good friend of mine, Dennis Gregory, who was my director of basketball operations at Rutgers University, but we had hooked up years earlier when he was an assistant AD at Fairleigh Dickinson and I was the assistant coach and just one of my best friends and a basketball junkie passed away. It'll be two years this December. Uh, And we started the Dennis Gregory Memorial Classic in his honor and had a showcase for great high school teams. We raised money to give scholarships to young kids to start off and maybe inner city kids that can go to a Catholic school because we can give them some scholarship money pump some money into CYO programs, uh, just kind of reach out to the communities and help where we can. I have unbelievable support through the guys I played with, unbelievable support through the basketball community at large, um, and, and just a great group of volunteers that give their time and effort. Um, we're not one of these big corporate-funded foundations. Again, we're, we're kind of – small. I have a phenomenal executive director. Uh, Kristen Kohler does just an awesome job. She's our only full-time employee. And uh, we just have a blast. We have a great time doing it. And uh, every event that we can do, 
is is another great event that we hope gives somebody a little hope in changing lives. And it's been unfortunate through the pandemic. There's not a whole lot we can get done in terms of raising money and or uh, putting programming together. But when this is all said and done, we're looking forward to getting these kids back out to different events and giving them hopefully an experience of a lifetime. So it's been awesome. I don't know who gets more benefit out of it, the kids or me, uh, but and our staff and, and our volunteers because they're just phenomenal people that have been successful that love, love to give back. And like in coaching, I couldn't be blessed to be around uh, any better people and, and so many people that are willing to give their time, their, their experiences and their energy uh, to a group of kids to, to give them an experience that hopefully will put them on the path to success in life. Well, that's what it's all about in my opinion. And I love to hear all of that, just giving experiences. And that's what uh, all of us have been fortunate to be around basketball, to be able to receive those experiences as players and even as coaches and GAs and managers, and now to be able to give them back. So teamhillfoundation.org, check it out. It's such a great, great organization and doing a lot of great things. And Coach Hill, can't thank you enough for coming on the Greatest Games podcast. This has been a lot of fun. Well, it's, it's been a pleasure, Brian. Thank you very much, Chris, uh, uh, for you guys to have me on. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it really is the basketball community. And anytime I get a, a, a chance to talk about hoops and spread the gospel a little bit, I thank you guys for sharing the time with me and letting me come on and, and speak, to your, uh, speak to all those guys out there that are hoop junkies that, that you get to on a weekly basis. So, we love it, Coach. Well, let's go ahead and wrap this one up for my co-host, Chris de Blasio. I'm Brian Rosefield, and thank you for listening to this episode of The Greatest Games. <laughs>